Hello and welcome to the March 6th edition of the We Gender Dugcast with me, Paul Kavanagh, and I'm joined as usual by the lovely Stuart Watt. Thank you so much. Ministry. We won't talk about how much research went into the date right there. And no, no, no. It's like, oh, you're lucky I knew what year it was, never <laughs> mind what date it was. I did that actually a while back. Um, I put the wrong year on the Dugcast when I published it on the blog and I didn't even notice didn't even notice. Tentative readers did, I'm sure. Well, I've got an issue with the whole technology thing. Anyway, never mind dates, but just technology and dates. I've got... Um, my house has turned... I feel as though I'm now living in... Um, you know that, that classic sketch from Burniston? I live in... I live in the Scottish voice-activated lift, that one. Yeah, yeah. Because my husband, who's American, has installed these bloody Google hubs everywhere to turn off the lights and all this and half the time it doesn't recognise what I'm saying Ridiculous. and I feel as though I'm trapped in that Burniston advert because I'm shouting Google <laughs> go- hey Google hey Google turn off the lights I said turn off the lights the other night and do you know what it did? What did it do? It told me how to say the lights in Tamil <laughs> and then another time I said hey Google turn out the lights and it started playing this country and western song about not turn to the light that's quite cute I know uh, it was a horrible song <laughs> and, and then it keeps doing things like that and actually I said to it the other day hey Google why are you racist mm. and it said I don't understand you and I, I went well exactly that's, that proves my it. point won't but, happen in an independent Scotland no no definitely not in an independent Scotland we'll have Google hubs that recognise yeah. Scottish accents yeah, <laughs> So anyway, but on to more serious issues. Very um, serious issue. Yeah, very serious issue. Uh, we've got the coronavirus is obviously it's becoming, it's spreading, mm-hmm. which was always expected. I understand today they've had the first case in the Greater Glasgow That's right, area. Yeah. Um, there's been a very marked contrast, I think, between the way that Nicola Sturgeon's handled it and the way that Boris Johnson's handled astonishing. it. It's quite... I know who I feel reassured by, mm-hmm. put it that way, and it's not the British government. <laughs> you know, the first of all, I mean, Boris Johnson went, had a press conference and said, the first of all, he said that he'd, he'd been to a hospital and had shaken hands with lots of people who had coronavirus, which is like, well, wait a minute, this isn't like Lady Diana, you know. No. You know, shaking the hand of people who are suffering from HIV, which couldn't be passed on by shaking hands. Coronavirus could be, you know, <laughs> that's kind of grossly irresponsible there, to, you know, to like go... Very. Mind you, if it does mean that he could, you know, have to quarantine the entire British cabinet, that might not be such a bad thing. Also, he probably wants a few sick days to finish that book of his, isn't he? Well, it? exactly, yeah. Um, but then it came out that... The hospital that he'd visited, which was Kettering, doesn't actually have any people in it who've got coronavirus. There's a shot. So he was just making it up. Who would have thought? Imagine. I know. Boris Johnson lying. Never. Never. And that's the kind of garbage, mm-hmm. basically, that we get. I was coming in and the, the, this morning and I was listening to the radio and they were list, it was uh, a representative of the supermarkets was talking about how basically the government is just talking nonsense, government figures are just talking nonsense, you know they're just making things up to suit themselves and it's it's really chaotic and shambolic you know, and it seems to be symptomatic of a highly dysfunctional government that we've got in Westminster on the other hand, Nicola Sturgeon you know, and she certainly has her critics on other aspects of her administration but this kind of 
emergency management thing is what she does really best. You know, she's calm, she's reassuring, she gives you the information that you need. And you feel as though that it's being dealt with by someone who's competent, which is not the impression that you're getting from Boris Johnson. No, not someone who's, you know, advised by Dominic Cummings. Well, exactly. You know, which is extreme cause for concern. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just watching them on TV, it's just such a stark difference. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But sadly, I mean, this this virus is only going to get worse. Mm. Um, we, I'm, I'm sure that most, the vast, the overwhelming majority of people, you know, mm. will be fine. Mm. But it is a health concern for, you know, certain sections of the population. Yeah, and, and it really so. is important to remember that, you know, the elderly and people, you know, with maybe um, immune system deficiencies right. and stuff like that. I mean, it's, don't forget this is deadly for a lot of people. And, yes, exactly. And, and but with a bit of you know, sensible precautions, mm. you know, the vast majority of people will be okay. Mm. So, and that's important to bear that in mind. This is not the bubonic plague. Mm. You know, it's not going to cause the mass deaths of, you know, one third of the population or something like that. So, but the British government, I think, is really showing that despite the fact it has a crushing majority in the House of Commons, that this is a deeply dysfunctional government, as I said earlier, you know, that I mean, we've seen the thing with Pretty Patel this week, you know, and there's now a third allegation of bullying has come out against her. That you know, that, that she seems to have a there's a distinct pattern here of unacceptable behaviour in public office, you know, um but the government's kind of rallying behind her saying, Oh no, there's nothing to see here, there's nothing to see here yet they were very quick to leap on allegations of bullying within the Labour Party, mm-hmm. but they're not prepared to get their own house in order, you know. Pretty Patel, now that's the third time uh, she's not going to resign. Well, to be fair, you know, if she does, if she is forced into resignation, it will be an improvement on the last time when uh, she was sacked for treason. That's right, yeah. So, you know, so we, we are getting better, <laughs> I suppose. Step by step, you know. know. But, yeah. But I mean, what do you think of this... The, the way that they're handling these, these kind of allegations and the way that they're handling themselves in general? You know, I think you just, you look at it and, and it almost reminds you, I mean, it's so reminiscent of, you know, for example, when you had Theresa May in charge, um, they're still vile, they're just equally as disgusting. But it didn't feel like the Trump administration and how just bizarre it was. Yeah. But now it's just bizarre. I mean, it's just... Yeah. That's the only word I can think to describe it. Yeah. Um, it just feels like a, like a sketch, like some dark comedy <laughs> playing out on, on... And the joke's on us. Uh, it really is. Um, and that's the only way I can describe it. And as you say, the, the contrast, I think it's it's worth highlighting. It really is worth highlighting right now. Yeah, I think it's one, one of the things that people forget. Um, they talk about, you know, because Nicola Sturgeon has been in power for well, six years now. Mm. Um and the SNP have been in power, you know, for quite a few years longer, you know. And oh, there's there's a lot of talk in the Scottish media about how this is a tired administration, you know, they've been in power for such a long time. But that also applies to the Conservatives. You know, the Conservatives in that period have gone through quite a few leaders, mm-hmm. but that's because of the the infighting and instability within that party, which you can't say, you know, anything like the same extent in no. the SNP. But what we've got in the Conservatives is, is a tired administration that's been in office for over 10 years now. And I think the cracks are really beginning to show, you know, in the Conservative Party. So despite the fact that they have this 
huge majority in the Commons, I don't think that we're going to have stable government no. for the next five years. Not at all. Especially when they just keep coming out with some of the guff that they have been coming well, out. And they're at the point now where someone like Alistair Jack is becoming a minister. Well, exactly, and that's exactly what I was about to get on to. Alistair Jack uh, had a... Where was he being interviewed by? It was in the Commons, it was the... Was it the Scottish but Affairs Committee? Must have been, right? In the Commons he was yeah. being interviewed. And said, spoke up basically in defence of the United Kingdom's plans to change the immigration policy and said, in effect, that immigrants come to the United Kingdom because they want our NHS and our benefit system. You know, that's a, that's a classic racist trope, mm-hmm. that is. And yet he apparently seems to believe this. Garbage. And he's your MP. And he's, he is. Although I did, I, I did vote in Glasgow in the last general election. Well, I'm but you personally. <laughs> maybe I should have voted in you the South West, right. really. Um, but, uh, you know, as you say, it, I mean, it's just the fact that someone like with those positions is in that position. And he just seems clueless. He just he oh God, seems yeah, clueless yeah, more yeah, than anything. Yeah. More than malicious, he just seems daft. But you can be malicious and clueless at the same it's time. It's very true. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, but yeah. It's one, And that's one of the things that I think is quite, quite significant. Like, Thatcher was... Thatcher's government was malicious... It was vicious and malicious, mm. but they were competent with it. And I think people are able to kind of, if somebody's competently malicious, <laughs> you, you will give them a grudging respect. But if you're incompetent and malicious, then there's nothing, you have nothing mm. but contempt for them. And I think that's where we are with the Conservatives in Scotland. People just have nothing but contempt for them. I mean, Alistair Jai, I mean, he was talking about the, the fixed link between Scotland and Ireland, and I was I just laughed when I heard that, when he said that, um, as far as he was concerned, a, tu- a, a tunnel, a bridge was a euphemism for a tunnel. <laughs> I was like, Alistair, you don't know what a euphemism is. A euphemism is the way that the Conservatives have treated Scotland over the past <laughs> few years and calling that a union. That's a euphemism. But aye, so it's going to be a, a a tunnel now. That's but, it. You know, it's like I went and looked this up, and because it's a thousand meters, it's a thousand feet, sorry, deep. That's it's, well, at least a thousand feet deep. It's deeper than that some parts. It's full of munitions that are really dangerous. And do you know that that, that depth water exerts a pressure of twenty seven tons per square foot? Sounds quite a bit. It is to me it personally. Is. One of the many reasons why it's, it's a real challenge to build at those depths. Mm-hmm. The channel, uh, the English Channel. Um, has an average depth of 150 feet between Dover and Calais. Mm. That's what they had to contend with to build the, the, the Channel Tunnel, to build the crossing between Scotland and Northern Ireland, which would probably be about 20 miles, because they, there's no point in building it at the narrowest point, which is between the Mullican Tyre and the Antrim Coast, because nobody lives there. Um, so we're talking about a similar kind of a length. It'd be approximately 20 miles, um, but at a far, far, far greater depth. You'd have to build a tunnel, you know, that could withstand the pressure of 27 tons per square foot, which would mean that the walls of it would have to be even thicker than Alistair Jack's skull. <laughs> so. There's not many materials that can. No, there's few materials that can resist that. But we, if we just actually built it with Alistair Jack's skull, actually, well, that that, that would possibly work. Yeah, um, it's certainly not getting much use just now inside no. it. So no. I mean, God no. knows. The uh, you know as well as this, it's worth saying, even though it's so obvious to think anyone listening to this, that he is the Scotland secretary. Yes, so Scotland has very unique yes. requirements in immigration. Yeah, and to him, it was just it's well. Just there was a report that came out this week, mm-hmm. um, which said that it's perfectly feasible for Scotland to have its own immigration system within the United Kingdom. There is absolutely no 
logistical reason uh, why that cannot be done. The reasons that the Conservatives are refusing to count as are entirely political because they don't want to give Scotland any more powers than it's already got. That's why they want to do it, because they would... Basically because they're pandering to the right-wing press, you know, the right-wing tabloid press. That's why they're saying no, but it's perfectly... Fee- there is no reason why, for example, someone who comes to this country from the EU... Um, couldn't they, they couldn't continue to have freedom of movement and to write and to live and work in Scotland. They could then because they could be allocated a Scottish tax code, you know, and they, that already exists. They could be allocated a distinctive national insurance number, which would specify that this is valid in Scotland, you know. And then when they went to apply for a job outside Scotland, that would flag up. You know, these things are perfectly within the existing capacities of the system to do. It's a political decision that they're saying, no, they don't want to do it. You know, there are plenty of other countries in the world where one part of it, you know, plenty of other states in the world where one part has control over immigration. Um, For example, um, Quebec in Canada has a distinctive immigration policy within the Canadian system. Um, This this was to do with uh, efforts to protect the French language in Quebec. Um, Or... um, the Azores and Madeira in Portugal, which are autonomous self-governed territories within Portugal, they also have their own immigration policies because obviously they're islands, resources are scarce, and they can't allow uncontrolled immigration into into somewhere where there's a very you know a very delicate economic ba- uh, ecological balance where water resources are scarce and all this kind of thing. So it's certainly possible for it to be done, you know, and Scotland could do it, but the Conservatives are just saying no. And how, how much of that is, is spite for Scotland, and how much of it is them believing in that this is a bad idea policy-wise? I think it's an element of both, actually. Mm. I think it's no. I think it's more to do with control freakery, that they don't want to give Scotland any more powers because they feel that the Conservatives believe in a kind of a slippery slope thing, that once devolution got going. That's why they always opposed devolution to begin with. Once Scotland starts to get control over certain powers, it will want control over more and more and more, and gradually Scotland will become independent by default, and that's what they're trying to resist. So for them it's an ideological thing, you know, that they refuse to give Scotland any more powers because they're afraid that this will eventually lead to the breakup of their precious, well, Contempt for Scotland, which they euphemistically call a union. <laughs> That's how you use a euphemism. There Alistair. we go, Alistair. Give, <laughs> give this a listen. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, the Tories are just—they're just—they really are the nasty party. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't changed. You know, um, we saw that this week with comments that were made about uh, Christian Allard, yes. the former MEP, the SNP MEP, who was born in France. Uh, he's lived in Scotland for, I believe, over 35 years. And yet, um, Conrad Ritchie, I believe he's called, who's a Conservative uh, Association chairman, basically told him on Twitter to go back to your own country. You know, I mean, that's outrageous. That's ridiculous. That is outrageous. And if you can imagine that if an SNP politician mm-hmm. had made a similar kind of comment, 
you know, it would have been plastered or it would be headline news. Mm -hmm. It would be, you know, there'd be a special hour-long programme on BBC Scotland about, you know, the the vile cancer that lurks at the very heart of the Scottish psyche. You know, all this, but because it's a Tory, it's like, oh, well, Tories, that's how Tories, that's what they're like. Mm -hmm. It's just like boys will be boys and Tories will be Tories. You know, it's kind of excused and kind of brushed over. And there is definitely a, a distinct, double standards in operation here, I think. And I think it kind of goes back to what you, you used to say a lot in your columns about the British nationalism and, you know, reframing it in right. terms of this is, <laughs> these guys are the nationalists. Well, exactly, exactly. In fact, I wrote a column about similar kind of a thing this week. You know, there's a lot of... There's a distinct tendency within the independence movement at the moment. Um, you know, we, we, we call people who are convinced no voters, no bags. But there's a... a what I call a woe bag tendency <laughs> within certain parts of the independence movement. It's all, oh, woe, it's all going wrong, you know, we're going to lose, oh, it's like that. And they forget about the positive. We need to, you can't, to be, have a balanced view of things, you need to think about just the positives as well as the negatives, you know. And there's a, a distinct, distinctly Scottish tendency, I think, to focus on negative things and forget about positive gains that we've actually made. And I wrote a blog article about it and published it yesterday. Um, and we have made, you know, this was, it was sparked off by remarks that Mike Russell made. Uh, he's standing down, not because of any, you know, political infight or nefarious reasons, but because he just, he's getting to retirement age and mm -hmm. he wants to retire. Fair play to him. And he said that Scotland is closer to independence than it's ever been. And cue the usual criticisms from the Wobang. So, oh, but Nicholas Sturgeon will never get independent with Nicholas. Oh, you know, and all that stuff, you know. But it's true. Scotland is closer to independence than it's ever been. And it doesn't even matter who the SNP leader is. You know, whether it's Nicola Sturgeon, whether she stands down, whether she stays in place, whether someone else comes in that's got a radically different view about how to wrest a Section 30 order out of Boris Johnson. None of that makes the slightest bit of difference if the conditions for independence are not in place to begin with. And those conditions are changes in Scottish society and politics. And that's what we've achieved. And that's why Mike Russell was quite right to say that we are closer to independence than we've ever been. I can remember a time when I was young. Um, I remember the first surge for the SNP back in the 1970s. Yeah, even then, the prospect of Scottish independence was very much a minority view. It was very easy for anti-independence parties to sideline it, to marginalise it and contain it and keep it away from the mainstream of Scottish politics. Even though there was a surge in support for the SNP, independence was still not a mainstream political idea. Nowadays in Scotland, it's not merely a mainstream political idea, it is the very fulcrum of Scottish politics. Everything else in Scottish politics revolves around the question of independence. You cannot discuss Scottish politics without discussing Scottish independence. And that is a huge, huge change, because that has never been the case at any point in Scottish history since the introduction of the democratic franchise. It's a massive, massive change in Scottish politics. And that becomes, that's a result of the independence referendum campaign in 2014, because that normalised the idea of independence. I mean, that's a massive, mm. massive change. I mean, to the extent that it destroyed Scottish Labour, you know. Well, exactly. 
Exactly. They can no longer marginalise the idea of independence no. the, the, the way that they once did. And also what they can't do anymore is to is to frame the debate as a debate between nationalists who want independence and non-nationalists mm. who oppose it. Yep. Because you cannot convincingly state that you want Scotland to be a participant, a submissive participant, a subordinate participant in an English nationalist-led Brexit while at the same time arguing that yours is the non-nationalist position. You are arguing for an intensely nationalist form of politics, the parochial, xenophobic form of politics, which was always the accusation that was laced, uh, laid at the door of Scottish independence supporters. But now that's British nationalism. And it's now become very clear that this is a debate in Scotland, not between nationalism and non-nationalism, but between Scottish nationalism and British nationalism. Mm. You know, that's the terms of this debate now. This is not a debate about nationalism and non-nationalism. And there are still people who try and say that, oh, but I'm not a nationalist, I just hate independence, I hate nationalism for that, and that's why I oppose independence. But it's very obvious that they're deluding themselves. You know, Gordon Brown went on the stage the other week at that These Isles conference and talked about the nationalisms in the United Kingdom and didn't mention English nationalism or British nationalism. And he was ridiculed for it. Because, I mean, come on, you know, you can't pretend that that's not there because British nationalism, English nationalism are the driving force in UK politics at the moment. And you can't pretend that doesn't exist. So we are in a far stronger position because independence is a normal idea, because the British state stands exposed, you know, as to the, the true nature of opposition to independence as a nationalist stance, and also because of what we were talking about earlier, the sheer and utter incompetence of the British government. You know, I mean, back when I was young, again, a long time ago, you know, and Margaret Thatcher, like I said, was evil. You know, her government was evil, it did evil things, but they were competent in their evil. And you had to pay them a kind of grudging respect in the sense that they were doing some really bad things, but they were competent in doing them. This lot are just incompetent. They're venal, they're greedy, and they're incompetent with it. You know, and people don't respect that. People just treat that with contempt. And that strengthens the argument, the core argument for Scottish independence, which is that we need a government in Scotland that we can hold to account because we can't hold Boris Johnson to account. Thus endeth the lecture. It was a very good lecture. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it sums it up perfectly, doesn't it? And, you know, it, it really does capture where we are, the fact that at this point it, we couldn't have two more extremes in terms of Nicholas Sturgeon versus yeah, exactly. Boris Johnson. You know, Boris Johnson is so at one end of the spectrum. Yeah, and people forget that. You know, they forget that when they talk about Nicholas Sturgeon and her, you know, her um, caution mm. when it comes to you know trying to get another independence referendum, they forget that it doesn't matter who the leader is if the conditions for an independence referendum are not in place a successful referendum, independence referendum are not in place. We're not going to win independence no matter who the leader of the SNP is. You know, and well, the other change, of course, is that in the past, you know, there was one opinion poll during the whole of the 2014 campaign which had independence in the lead. Yeah. A very narrow lead, 51%. And that was seismic, mm -hmm. you know. And now 
they happen regularly. We're regularly now seeing opinion polls that show independence in the lead. We're almost disappointed when they don't at this point. Well, exactly, exactly. And that's a huge change. And before, I do feel this really strongly, that yes, I believe that at some point, you know, we're going to have to confront Boris Johnson head on and to, you know, adopt some sort of strategy to, to ensure that there's people of Scotland can get a vote. But that is only going to be successful if the majority of people in Scotland support it. If we make sure that we have a majority support in Scotland for an alternative strategy. And that's why I'm heartened by these recent opinion polls that show a majority support for yes, and a majority of people who are saying that Scotland should, of course Scotland should have its own referendum. Mm. It should be up to Scotland to decide. Because we need to make sure that if and when an alternative strategy becomes necessary, uh, the people are going to back it. Because if they don't back it, then we're lost already. So, but I'm confident that we will. And that's why I do believe that Mike Russell was right when he said, you know, we are closer to independence than we've ever been before. So, so be happy. Let's it's all. not all good. <laughs> you know. um, before we round up, just a couple of mentions for things. The Roadshow. Oh, the Roadshow's on the 11th on Wednesday and we are going to be myself and Richard this has been advertised I believe as Callum Callum's not going to be there it's going to be Richard Walker uh, myself and the Doug of course um, who by the way has had his last check up at the vet um, he's still got arthritis we're still waiting for the joint supplements to kick in he's a bit kind of stiff a little bit stiff he's not bad it's very mild at the moment um, but other than that he's fine so that's good. He's a very healthy boy. Resilient we dug. Yeah, yeah. So on Wednesday, it's at seven o'clock, I think. Seven o'clock, yep. And it's in the lecture hall, lecture theatre A1 of the Cottrell Building in Stirling University. And you'll be able to find that info as well on your letters pages. Yes. In tomorrow's paper. Yes. Um, but I'm sure that'll be good fun with Richard especially Richard it's Walker that's Sunday National Editor yeah he's always good Richard so it's been head, it's being hosted by the Stirling University Scottish Nationalist Association Stirling Scottish Socialist Party Society and the University of Stirling Students for Independence are going to be hosting the event so I'll be there with the Doug talking my usual mints get yourself along there I know talking mints can get you front page awards don't forget that's true unless you write for the National <laughs> But let's not talk about let's the press awards. Got <laughs> <laughs> a picture of some snow. That's another another belter. Anyway, we won't be better. I know, we're not better. We're not better. That's by the way a reference to the fact that um, the national last year the Scottish press awards are coming up in a few weeks' time. Uh, the national last year submitted their headline page of Theresa May. Uh, refusing to speak to the national it was just a blank front page saying this is where we'd have put the headline it was a really striking front page and the Scottish Press Awards gave the front cover award to a picture of some snow <laughs> in the Daily Mail so enough said enough mm. said but we're not bitter may have set the agenda <laughs> and you know got global attention but wow well. Oh, well, well, there's, there's a nice picture of some snow it's prettier isn't it you know <laughs> prettier than a cutout Theresa May but no, we're not better. We're not better at all. So I, so that's us, and I'm sure we'll be back next week talking more of the usual rubbish. Absolutely. 
All right, and you take care. Thank you for Bye listening, everyone. See you soon.